everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. I am speaking with Corey Schmidt, general partner of Seven Peaks Ventures. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, about Seven Peaks. Let's get to uh, know each other as well as introduce you to our audience. Let's get to know the fund, what size funds, what's the focus, what's your investment thesis, what's your worldview. We'll spend the, you know, spend a few minutes basically getting to know you. Okay, great. Um, so I am a general partner with Seven Peaks Ventures, and we are located in Oregon. Um, and we are an early stage um, venture capital fund uh, that invests primarily across the West with, with an extra emphasis on the Pacific Northwest, where we've identified there's certainly a, um, a capital gap for some of these um, fast-growing regional hubs like Portland, Seattle, um, Denver, Boulder, uh, Salt Lake, where we have identified that beyond Angel and before larger funds come in, there's a there's a capital gap that that we believe we can fill. And what is the size of the fund? Yeah, so we've we've um, we started our fund in 2013. Uh, my founding partner, Dino Vendetti, uh, moved up to Bend, so we all we all have the opportunity to to live in Oregon, um, but again. Uh, work and travel and invest across the West, but moved outside of the Bay Area, had uh, been a part of two funds down there and previously with Volcan Ventures up in Seattle, and identified this opportunity to look outside of the Bay Area and start a fund in a regional market. Uh, and that was in 2013. Um, it was our first fund. We have since invested in 20 companies out of that fund. Um, small check sizes. It was a bit of our own incubation experiment. Um, and the good news is the fund is doing really well, um, 20 companies, and um, we are on our way right now. We are um, in the middle of our fund, too. We'll be closing that out here in June, and we've actually made three investments out of our second fund uh, and soon to be a fourth investment. And the, the strategy is very similar on fund two, uh, early stage Series A. Um, we are a, a sub $50 million fund, so we are a, a small um, institutional investor. And um, we look at companies um, that, you know, we could go anywhere late seed to perhaps leading an A in a series um, with a 500 to a million, up to a million and a half dollar check and reserve for carry on uh, to invest in those companies. So, um Let's talk a bit about um, how you define early stage. Sure. A sub fifty million fund. What mm -hmm. is uh, what, what is your preferred um, stage at which you like to encounter companies? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I think the thing that's different that we find in in a regional market like the Pacific Northwest, like like Portland, Oregon, or even Seattle, um, which is is actually going upstream a bit that might be different than the Bay Area or New York City is um, we look for uh, companies that, you know, there's, there's a very healthy angel community here. A lot of companies um, can get seed funding, angel investments, friends and family, bootstrap, grow their way into truly a, a pretty valuable and, and interesting business model that's um, achieved product market fit in, in their area. And when we start to look at a deal, we really like a bit of a mature model. Um, we're not 
investing um, at the earliest stages of concept. We're looking for viable businesses that have found product market fit, have customers, ideally a million to two, three million in revenue is, is great. We always identify companies that are earlier than that that have perhaps something unique in their tech. Um, maybe that the founders have had success in the past and are going at it again. So we will invest earlier, but we're looking for those that are at that stage. They've bootstrapped. They've used their money wisely. They've developed a product that has turned a customer to do the unnatural thing of buying from a startup out of a basement, right? Um, and that, that shows that they're truly meeting some unmet need. Um, geography is obviously part of our um, decision-making, and um, we prefer B2B, so we're much more enterprise, SaaS-focused than we are uh, direct-to-consumer. And um, we have a lot of deep tech and operational expertise on our team. Um, partner Matt Abrams, really deep data analytics, machine learning, AI, most recently, um, he came out of leading a worldwide data analytics team at Oracle. Um, I mentioned Dino, very deep in the venture space for, for decades. And our fourth investing uh, general partner is Tom Gonzer. And Tom founded DocuSign, mm-hmm. started in Seattle, moved that uh, headquarters are now in San Francisco. But again, a uh, seasoned entrepreneur who can, can work really closely with um, others in the security identity space. And then my expertise is, is most um, relevant and deep in the digital healthcare space. Great. And um, uh, so you, you emphasized greatly geography. So Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest is the sweet spot of the fund, yes? You don't out- invest outside of the Pacific Northwest. We do. So right now we have investments in, we, we'll call it the Mountain West <laughs> And, and we do have the Southwest. We actually have one of our newest deals is, is in a phenomenal company uh, out of Phoenix called Trusona, and they're mm-hmm. in the no-password security space. Um, and um, what we do have, majority of our deals are in Oregon and Seattle. We have mm-hmm. uh, five or six investments in the Bay Area. And we have a deep network there based on our sure. um, syndicate partners and, and investors that come on in later rounds. Um, we also look at deals, and we have two in Boulder, uh, Salt Lake City, so a lot of these um, smaller tech hubs that are starting to um, build strong uh, tech ecosystems with entrepreneurs that have had some success are regenerating capital, and we're seeing talent regenerating in those, those regions. Um, what's lagging is, is sophisticated capital to help um, grow those into sustainable businesses. So um, we're really leaning in there versus, um, you know, the, the Bay Area is, is chock full of, of lots of successful funds, and uh, we're identifying opportunities primarily outside of the Bay Area. Yeah, okay. And um, let's talk a little bit about um, what you're seeing in your deal flow in 2017. What's exciting? What's interesting? Mm. What are the trends that you're seeing? You know, it's funny. I guess we're four and a half, gosh, I'm losing track of time here, four and a half or so years in. Uh, from when we launched our 2013 vintage fund, and um, we're seeing a ton of, of great deals across the, the regions that we're looking at. Um, as I mentioned, my, my sweet spot being digital health, it's, it's a great time to uh, explore opportunities to reduce cost, improve uh, clinical care, really compress the workflow in healthcare. So we're looking at, at some interesting opportunities in that space. 
What we really like to do is we, we have, as I mentioned, deep operational and sector expertise as well as technology. So convergence of um, machine learning in a sector that we're deep in uh, is something that's of interest to us. So a couple of, of deals that, that might help illuminate this. We do have investments in, in two companies in Lytic, which is deep machine learning for radiology, um, mm -hmm. very disruptive technology. Another is Cricket Health, um, which is looking to change the, the model for how kidney failure patients um, can receive care in home and mobile mm. versus versus uh, brick and mortar, which really can improve quality of life, extend their care, and, and reduce costs dramatically. Um, what can you do? What what is that's actually very interesting. What uh, what does the company yeah, enable yeah. people to do? Yeah, so Cricket is, is founded by a really dynamic co-founding team of Vince Kim and Arvind Rajan, and Arvind they're. Uh, Vince is in Portland, Arvin's in the Bay Area. Arvin actually came out of, of LinkedIn, uh, an executive there who uh, opened up the um, Asian markets for LinkedIn. And, and what they've done is taken this concept of um, providing educational tools to these patients. So a lot of times the patients don't know what options they have. They don't know that they can get um, dialysis in home wraparound technology services to enable that clinical care with the support of a remote nurse um, mm -hmm. providing that education. And then as you receive and deliver that care in home, again, these, these enabled services to educate, deliver the clinical care and feedback to allow them to be in home versus um, in brick and mortar. And um, they've, they've had the opportunity to work with the American Kidney Foundation who send patients their way. And what you find is if patients are educated and given the right options, I think they've gone from uh, one in seven choosing in-home to eight out of ten, which is it dramatically um, changes the paradigm for how these patients can get care. So it, it's an old industry <laughs> that needed some disruption, and applying that technology to it has been um, something very interesting. We, we see this in enterprise, um, a company out of Portland called Opal. Opal's doing this with brand management uh, for large companies where they're taking the time to create all of your campaigns, um, collateral, all the materials that a brand like a Nike is doing mm -hmm. globally on any given day through this beautiful platform that allows for sharing, um, collaboration, and it's live um, where you can spit out campaigns, you can change uh, when those are all running, what's going on in soccer in Brazil for Nike next week versus what they're running for women's golf um, in the Western U.S. And they're able to save, and again, it's this workflow compression, eight to ten hours uh, a week per marketer because of this system. And it's, it's really changed the, the way that these companies can roll out their, their marketing campaigns. So, so um, these companies that you're talking about, what stage uh, did you encounter them? Yeah, so they were early, and a couple of these, you know, Opals in Portland. Um, I uh, met Opal, at, and Dino and I met the founder, saw them presented at an event, and the numbers were phenomenal. And they had worked extremely hard to build a beautiful product and go out and land top customers, um, bootstrap it, fund it themselves, fund it with angels, um, and then open it up to VCs. And I think that was a great model for, uh, what we see in regional markets, I think you see folks. So what kind of um, what what kind of metrics did they come to you with? 
Uh, I think they probably had five or ten big brand customers. Um, revenue from those were, um, you know, five to six figure annual contracts and um, customers that were uh, expanding. And that shows that you've built something that is solving a real unmet need within the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. the, the product and is these, one uh, that sit, Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Uh, I was going to say, the product you sit down and use it, you... you you immediately know when you see a product that uh, has nailed that that user experience. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, um, if you can uh, close deals of that size, then you have you're doing something right. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. Right. That's sure. right. Now, what, uh, what is your um, what is your value proposition in those scenarios? Like, of course, if you sure. let's say a uh, you know, your your specialty is digital health. Mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. a, a company that comes to you that has product market fit and started mm-hmm. closing sizable deals. Um, mm-hmm. What doors can you have opened? What are you? Do, are, where are your sure. relationships? It's a great question, and I think the the couple things we've seen. So we do have um, strong strategic and corporate relationships based on um, our own backgrounds. I mentioned we've yep. worked. At, Oracle or Apple. I, I previously worked with Philips, um, and over time, as we've worked with these companies, we've been able to open up a lot of the doors for customers and advisors, and that's that's always valuable. And what we've seen over the course of uh, our first fund, and and hopefully we'll continue in fund two, is we lean in really hard. We roll up our sleeves, help where we're valuable, but where I think we can add the most value, especially for regional companies, is in that syndication process. Um, I mean, you know this well. Your, your board, your investors are part of that family. You're getting married, and it's imperative that you're, you're building a really good team for the long haul. And um, Opal's a great example. We help them syndicate their um, Series A and Series B with, with some other phenomenal partners in Madrona and Excel. Um, we've done this with several of the companies in our, our portfolio where we've been able to hold their hands early on and be that strategic professional fund that's beyond angel that can help them really hone in their strategy, the milestones they need to get to before they can go out to that series A and then help them open those doors to those investors um, and get, get the term sheets and, and build a strong board um, that's going to allow them to get to the next phase. So my next question is about um, unicorns versus (laughs) niche. (laughs) You know, in the Bay Area, yeah. Still, the unicorn chasing is dominant in in right. investors. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I was just talking this morning with uh, Nitin Rai, who probably you know very well yeah. from yeah, the Oregon um, uh-huh. in ecosystem, and and he very categorically specified that he's not interested in unicorns; he's interested sure. in niches. So right, I'm curious, right. what is your uh, investment thesis, your firm's investment thesis? Is it unicorn, non-unicorn? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to pick another uh, dragon or something. So we, um, you know, uh, unicorn mania isn't necessarily a big problem for us. I mean, look, later, investing in a unicorn and having it have a successful outcome and exit is a high cost problem to have. But um, we are looking for companies that are building a truly sustainable business with a phenomenal team and a phenomenal product. I wouldn't say we're niche. We're not looking for um, a a tiny market that is going to flip a quick, um, you know, 
one to two X return. We're, it's a little different. We absolutely are looking for big disruption. And you've got to find a market that has a big enough sustainable customer base and, and truly has an unmet need to, to build a big enough business. Where I think you can find niches, hey, let's go very deep in the solution. Cricket's a great example of that in dialysis. They're not going to solve every healthcare problem, but they're very good at that. But the market is still enormous. Um, what I think you see in regional markets is we can, you know, see a variety of a couple of 10x returns in our portfolio are phenomenal. But we we don't have to just return that. We can return, you know, three to five x and have a very healthy uh, return to our LPs and success rate. So I think yeah, you see and more, then, and the truth more reasonable is you valuations. Can do you can do three to five x in, uh, you know, non-billion-dollar markets as well. You know, you hear sure. people kind of <laughs> tend to poo-poo two hundred, three hundred million TAM markets, but if you do right. a good business in a two hundred, three hundred million-dollar market and get a good exit, you can do three x, four x easily. Sure, and I think I mean nothing know, is easy in venture. No, <laughs> nothing is easy. That's absolutely right, and I think what you see is. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, you can map out valuations on very similar companies, one that's being built in Portland or Seattle versus the Bay Area. And right. it's, it's a valuation, even at a concept stage, is, is phenomenally higher in the Bay Area. The cost of building that company, the cost of talent, it's not to say there's not amazing companies being built there. We know that. Um, and that's, that's going to be competition for other companies elsewhere. But um, you can get in an evaluation that's reasonable. Of course, we have pro rata rights. Um, and we believe we lean in very hard strategically to help craft the success of that company so that they are set up to, to be in a bit of control as they raise those next funds because they've built a solid company that's on the right revenue, growth trajectory um, to warrant an uptick in their valuation, but one that's reasonable for the stage they're at. Yeah. And, um, you know, the truth is these days, uh, even if companies are headquartered in the Bay Area, there mm-hmm. are very substantial backends somewhere else. I mean, our portfolio sure. is full of companies with India backends and, right. you know, we're right. financing a company yep. right now that has 15 people and bulk of that is in India. So it's, it's a very yep. common yep. model of, and, and, and sure. some of them are also elsewhere in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. it's understood that having the entire team in the Bay Area is not an easy thing to sustain cost structure-wise. That's right. And we've seen that. We have a company that, that uh, actually we have a neighbor in Bend that left the Bay Area, relocated their company uh, to Bend. All of their employees now own homes. I mean, they're, they're doing phenomenally well. They're growing rapidly. They've gotten more investment. Um, I think it just depends on the dynamic of the company and how you can depends, can yeah, sure. that growth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're also seeing a lot of virtual companies these days. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, there's um, there's absolutely a move to that, and I think um, as investors, we have to be very open-minded to explore how the given dynamic and a culture of, of a team early on can can work right. in that in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't? No, I think the only other thing is we talk a bit about. Um, and I'd be curious even to hear your thoughts a bit on the correction I think that we see going on in the market now. Um, it's way overdue. <laughs> it is way overdue. It's not a crash. I think it's a correction. Um, and it's happening. And I think one thing that we tend to 
want to lean in and really help and make sure this is, again, a reason to have a very strong syndicate that can support a company through this is how do you weather that storm, right? If we're investing at seed or even Series A, how do these companies ensure that they're able to get to that next stage? Because funding, um, you know, it is moving upstream a bit. Um, and how Well, do I think the, the big issue, however, is not so much the correction in the market as in the public market. The real issue is sure. that there is a huge amount of capital accumulation that has happened in the seed stage. Yep. And that by that, I mean yep. the pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, even the small series A. And then yep. the... the 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 significant series A, series B is so so, and then there's a huge amount of money in the late stages where these That's big right. funds have raised mega funds and they want to put in huge amounts of money into each deal. They don't want to do five million dollar deals; they want to do fifty million dollar deals, and that that That's creates right. a very odd dynamic in the it whole does. industry. I think it, it's creating this gap. You know, this gap, and I mean, we talk to invest uh, companies. I mean, you know. They have to be smart about how they're raising their Series A, but there is an opportunity to get a little more at your at your seed stage, right? But from the right investors, uh, and be smart about how you're spending that money because getting to Series A, there's more money as you mentioned at the seed stage, but it's not all filtering down to the same amount and and as easy to raise it at the A. So make sure yeah. that you've got um, enough runway, 18 to 24 months. And what I found is you have to hit those milestones. It's competitive. And quite honestly, Absolutely. a correction without a milestones in the market, and without metrics, it's impossible to raise Series A these days. Yeah, and and a correction in the market isn't necessarily a bad thing, and I, I don't mean to sound draconian, but it it cleans up what may be an overabundance of investing every idea that comes across, uh, you know, an early well, stage. Well, you know, I, I happen okay to be a, I happen to be a very big uh, believer in bootstrapping. You know, yeah. whether it's bootstrapping with your own money or bootstrapping with little bits of angel money or small. Uh, you know, micro VC money, if you can sure. get to real numbers and sustainable metrics where you don't need gushing, you know, yes. guzzling outside capital, <laughs> you can actually be a business with customer money, that is a Absolutely. much, much, much healthier scenario. You are in a much more more uh, controlling and powerful position, and you will attract yeah. the right investors to the table, and I, I think you're spot on. And the thing I like about, uh, you know, what I see in regional markets is you get um, – Sometimes you get more senior CEOs who have lived through that, and just by the nature of the lack of capital, um, they have to do that. And so we get an opportunity to see them, as I mentioned with some of the other companies, um, at the point where they have found that product market fit and they have customers that are um, demanding more, which is a great thing and, and uh, gives you confidence in, in putting capital into their growth. So that's you know that's what we advise our uh, companies to pay attention to as much as possible is to really you know bootstrap their way to sustainability as much as possible you know that's right yep and it's it's you know it's um it's a good time to be an investor I think you know you see a correction in the market it's not necessarily a bad thing and and quite honestly at the earlier stage uh, we're protected a little bit more from a correction in the market than later stage so. It's coming. It's, I think we're slowly starting to see the early um, side of that, and um, it's, uh, it's just reality. So if these companies can be smart and use their money well and have cash in hand to weather those and get, truly get to that next phase, I think that's the best, the best advice they can be given. Yeah. Terrific. Corey, it was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for yeah. uh, participating. And audience, yeah. thank you for listening. Please uh, yeah. 
stop by at one of our roundtables uh, any week. We have free public roundtables every week. You can find the schedule on the website, 1mby1m.com. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more of these interviews. Keep listening. Keep um, using all the resources from 1 million by 1 million. And keep trying to get to a sustainable scenario so that you don't <laughs> go out of business for lack of cash. That's right. Thanks, Gerardo. It was a pleasure talking to you.